Um, I want to pray as we kind of shift gears a little bit um, because uh, we're going to deal with the heavy issue today and uh, we really need the Lord's guidance and direction in this message. So let's pray for a moment. Father, we just ask God for your, your peace on this place. Lord, that, that the words that you have me sharing today are words that you put on my heart to share. They're what we need to hear and that it's not just enough to hear it, but we need to be committed to do it. Um, and so, God, I just ask that today, Father, that you would anoint me to share this word and that you would give all of us the patience and the openness to hear the word of the Lord today. Lord, we pray for our nation that is in uh, disrepair. We pray for our nation that is in disunity. And uh, Lord, we pray for the Prince of Peace to come and use his bride, the church of Jesus Christ, to create and to foster unity in our communities. So, Father, we just ask that we would be open and attentive and listening to what you would have to share with us today and that it would change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, The past two weeks, we have seen uh, tremendous uh, news, a barrage of news stories that have been difficult to watch. and uh, things that we've had to maybe explain to our kids, um, topics that we have not addressed in the past, and uh, but we, we need to get to the point where we have these open conversations as a church body. And, and I do want to, before I get into it, the, the title of my message today is God's Way is Justice. God's Way is Justice. Um, I want to say a couple things at the start. The members of this church, Friendship Church, elected me in March of 2018, and you trusted me to lead this congregation to a deeper walk with the Lord and lead it through various minefields that we would walk through, that we didn't even know we would walk through. You've accepted me and the baggage that I came with. You've stayed with me through some tough sermons where we've dealt with some very difficult and tough subjects. And you've supported me and you've loved my family. And so I hope that you still trust me to tell you the hard truths that we all need to hear. I hope that you keep your ears and your heart open to what the Bible says about tough topics. And I hope that if you hear something today that might sting a little bit, that you would be willing to listen and not to walk out on me. I've had a whole lot of conversations this week. In the past two weeks, with members of the black community, members of the police force, I've done a whole lot of listening, something that all of us should do a whole lot more of. Before we begin our conversation today, it's important for us to always be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. We need to see God's perspective first and foremost Does God's word speak about issues of injustice and oppression? Yes, it does. The words justice and injustice are topics that are mentioned over 160 times in Scripture. The word oppression is mentioned 125 times in Scripture. 
So these are topics that God deals with on a consistent basis and that we need to be dealing with on a consistent basis. And Moses was speaking to people and he said in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 17 through 19, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt." This passage tells us that God executes justice for those who are oppressed. It also tells Israel not to hate someone because they're not a native-born Israelite. It commands them to treat them the same as if they are native-born. And so the word sojourner is also used in different translations as the foreigner, the alien, the immigrant. But basically, the person who is different from you is to be loved and accepted and valued as part of the community of faith. Still speaking to Israel and preparing them to enter the promised land, Moses tells them in Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 through 4, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock His work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Here Moses reminded God's people that all his ways are justice. He is just and upright. He is perfect. He's blameless. He's always correct. And when he acts, he acts in a way that is completely just. The Bible repeatedly tells us that God is a God of justice. But what's our responsibility? Well, thankfully, the Bible tells us that. In Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, he says, uh, God is actually speaking to the people of Israel. And when he says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then he says, he has told you. Micah says, he's told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The Old Testament formula is simple. In the Old Testament, it's the Old Testament, it's do justice and not merely talk about it because I mean, let's be fair, with the advent of Facebook and all these social networking things, we can talk a lot, but what do we do? We say, yes, this is wrong, but we do nothing other than post, and then we feel good about it. We check it off our list, and we think, okay, now all my black friends will be happy. I've said something. But what have we done? So we are to do justice and not merely talk about it. We are to love kindness and to walk humbly before our God. In the New Testament, we are reminded by James that faith without corresponding works is dead and useless faith. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Our faith in Christ should push us to actively love our neighbors. And if we aren't loving our neighbors, 
then we're ignoring the second commandment, the the second greatest commandment, I, I should say, in all of Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we do a pretty good job of loving ourselves. We take care of ourselves. We do things that make us happy. We buy things we like. We, we, you know, driving home, we're like, you know what? I could go for some Dairy Queen right now. And so we take care of ourselves. We do things that we love. And we, and we don't think about doing things for other people before we think of ourselves. We take good care of ourselves. And God is saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And love is not passive. Love is active. As I've said before, love always makes the first move. Love always makes the first move. I love Friendship Church. I love Friendship Church because Friendship Church is a diverse body. It is a diverse church. And our racial diversity is one of the most beautiful things about our church. We have members from African descent, European descent, Latin American descent, Asian descent. It's beautiful to see so many ethnicities gathered together in unity and genuine love for one another. This is what heaven looks like. And this is what church should look like. When talking about how the church works, how it's joined together, how each person has unique things that they bring to the body, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 26, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Last Sunday, we we honored six graduates from probably six different nationalities. And we honored them and we rejoiced together with them and with their families for the accomplishments of graduating. And we love rejoicing. We love a party. But to suffer together? We don't like suffering under our own problems, let alone suffering under somebody else's problems and and add them to our own. Yet Paul said that's exactly how the body of Christ is supposed to work. So when one part of our body is in pain, it's the duty of the whole body to sit up, take notice, call out the problem, and get some attention on the root cause of the pain. When you're in pain, you go to the doctor. You get help. You seek assistance to discover what is the root cause. If you have a massive headache... And you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, take two Tylenol. Take two of these and call me in the morning, is the old expression. But what if you have a brain tumor? Tylenol will only help so far. You don't need a doctor who will just prescribe the simple thing to cover up the symptom. You need someone who will be willing to diagnose what's at the root. What is the root cause of the problem? For our black community, the cause of a whole lot of pain is injustice and racism. And as a church family, we're going to have a conversation about it, not a political one. I don't care what your politics are because you probably don't care what my politics are. So we're not going to have a political conversation. We're having a biblical conversation. And if you don't understand a person's position, then listen. Because people want to be heard. 
One individual said this, speaking out against white supremacy and race-based violence does not make you anti-white, anti-police, right or left. It makes you pro-justice, pro-black life, pro-accountability, and pro-racial equality. Caring about the life of another is not political, it's human. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, every police officer that I know feels that George Floyd's death was a preventable tragedy that should have never happened. His family deserves justice for his death. Now, we will, we will not bash police officers uh, because this is not about overthrowing the police. It's about speaking out against injustice. This past Tuesday, I drove downtown with three of my sons, Joshua, Micah, and Daryl, to take part in the march to Houston's courthouse after an unarmed man was murdered in the streets of Minneapolis by a police officer. George Floyd was not the only unarmed black man in America killed by race-based violence. The list of unarmed, compliant, and nonviolent black men and women killed in this nation is appalling and preventable. If a black person has to be in fear of their lives when they leave the house, when they go to work, if they're laying in bed asleep, or when they go jogging through a neighborhood, that should signal something to us that there is something incredibly wrong with this nation. And from what I've heard, the only difference between the events now and the events in the past are that they're finally being caught on film and shared so we can know what's going on. As my sons and I marched, with 60,000 Houstonians that are tired of seeing injustice in this nation, I saw a sign that said it well, and we need to remember this. The sign said, this is not white versus black, it's everyone versus racism. The actions of anyone who unlawfully takes the life of another person must be denounced immediately and loudly. When blacks, Jews, Arabs, Asians, immigrants, police officers, or anyone is targeted for injustice and murder, we should join our voice with them and shout loudly for the world to hear it, that we will not, the church will not tolerate injustice against any person or against any group. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. If it can happen in one neighborhood, then it can happen in all neighborhoods. If, it can happen, if, if racist people can target one group, then they can target your group. There are white racist people. There are black racist people. There are Asian racist people. There are Hispanic racist people. There are racists in the military. There are racists on the police force. There are racists who own stores, racists who serve you in a restaurant. There are racists who work in hospitals. There are racists who pastors church. Racism is hatred. Hatred is evil. It has absolutely no place in the body of Jesus Christ. It has no place in our society. Injustice should never happen to anyone at any time. And if it does, when we see it, we should speak up. 
It's not right. It's not fair. We should stop worrying about the feelings of a racist person when they do something that's clearly racist. We should speak up. Sometimes when you're with someone of a different race and they experience a racist behavior, racist attitude from someone, they're like, ah, it's all right, it happens all the time. It shouldn't happen all the time. It's wrong. And even though they may be used to it because it happens to them all the time, we should be willing to speak up and say, it's not right, it's not fair, it's not appropriate, and you should lose your job for it if you're going to behave that way. It has no place in our society. People like that should not be rewarded. I've never used this pulpit for a political stance or a speech. Today is no exception. This is not a political issue. This is about human rights, and it's about God's, the call for God's people to commit their way to biblical justice. Injustice is repeatedly condemned in Scripture. We have groups and individuals in all parts of our society that are committed to race-based violence, and we must stand up, speak up, and condemn it. Sir Edmund Burke said, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Ten million civilians were murdered during World War II because people refused to stand up against injustice. They were so afraid of one man that they refused to stand up to him and tell him he was wrong. Six million Jews and four million people from other ethnicities and groups were murdered in World War II because the church and others refused to stand up against the tyranny of injustice and racism. We've done nothing for a long time. We've kept silence, and our silence has spoken very loudly to hurting people. We need to ensure that we speak clearly when anyone inside or outside our community is targeted for violence and racism. I've seen several news reports on several occasions where police officers were sitting in their cruisers and someone snuck up behind them and attacked them. I was horrified by that, and we should all condemn violence. This is not bashing police. I pray for my police friends because they have an incredibly hard job. We have several police officers in this congregation. They are loving, godly people. They love their community. They serve their community because they want to protect their community from injustice, from evil. And so this is not us versus the cops. Don't let the media change the message. This is us against racism, us against injustice. And every time I see a police officer, when I was at Caleb Rule's uh, candlelight vigil for, uh, you know, when he passed away, every police officer, I thank them for their service because the vast majority of them are serving faithfully and well in their community to keep it safe. Speaking up against rotten and racist apples doesn't mean that you hate the good and honorable ones. You can condemn the actions of one person while loving the others. Just like some bad Christians make good Christians look bad, 
Bad cops tarnish the reputations of good ones that faithfully serve their communities. We recognize the bad cops. The police officers would tell you this. Those guys that are racist and and act with injustice, they should have never been given a badge or a gun. And it is in those times we need to come together and join our voices together for godliness and righteousness and justice and unity and let those voices be louder than the actions of hatred, violence, and racism. I'm going to ask Pastor Vincent, Pastor Anna, if you want to come up as well. A couple instances that, that have uh, taken place, and I felt like uh, real quickly he wanted, I wanted him to share uh, just a couple instances that have occurred to uh, with him so that you can understand this is not something that happens, oh, it, it happens in the deep south, or it happens, you know, it's a Minneapolis problem, or it's an it's a Oakland problem, it's an Atlanta problem, it's a whatever. It's a Rosenberg and Richmond problem too, folks. Uh, Pastor Vincent, would you just share real quickly uh, the couple things that we had mentioned? Yeah. So um, I kind of typed them out because I like to talk. So uh, the first one is... Uh, Happened at Walmart. So there's three different types of racism I'm just talking about. Is first one is blatant. Um, my wife and I were at Walmart doing a Walmart run for church. Uh, we were leaving. We had our windows down. It was hot outside. And um, as we were getting ready to pull out, we stopped to let this couple cross the street. And um, after they crossed, they turned around, flicked us off, and uh, said some cuss words. But it ended with uh, just yelling the N-word at me. And so... Um, Again, that's happened more than once, but out of shock, we we didn't get out of the car. Uh, we waited. Um, when it hit me, I stopped. I turned around. I wanted to get out. Uh, not to do anything, not to cause violence, but just to confront them, to have a conversation. Uh, but my wife was uh, crying. She was really concerned. She didn't want something to happen to me to be seen as the aggressor. And uh, so we ended up just leaving. We came back to church. We showed her, Pastor Jason, what happened. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is profiling. Um, we were at an electronic store. I'm not going to share which one because I don't want to sound like I'm like bashing it. Um, we were at an electronic store in Rosenberg, and my wife, my brother and I actually were there. Um, I was going looking for noise-canceling headphones so I could just, when the homeschool was here, I could not have to hear. Um, and uh, we were probably there for five, ten minutes. And in that five to ten minute span, my brother and I were stopped. Well, first, we were followed the entire time we were there. We were, came there for one thing. We were followed the entire time we were there. I tested it. I walked around the entire store to see if they were going to follow us. The store was pretty empty, maybe five other people there. Um, within that small amount of time, I think they asked us six, seven times what we needed. Um, it was the same three people. And so I told each person at least two times while we were there. And just out of, I think at that point, just we were annoyed we left. And then the third time is uh, subliminal stuff that people don't really notice if you're not black or kind of don't know the history around it. Um, Just uh, context, uh, boy is a racial term um, to black men to kind of demean them, demasculate, to not make them or let them feel like they're equal to white men. And um, so my wife and I were at a restaurant. Again, we're not going to name it. Um, We don't go there anymore, but we're at a restaurant and uh, we were seated. She ordered uh, Dr. Pepper. I got water. Um, And I was given a kid cup. Uh, she was given an adult cup, and it's it's very clearly marketed for kids. It has like little designs on it, all this stuff. It's cute, but I'm I'm 24. I'm not a kid, um, and so I remember asking the waitress um, if I could get an adult cup. She insisted that they didn't have any clean ones. I insisted that I wouldn't mind waiting. Um, it didn't bother me. I said 
I wouldn't mind waiting for one. Um, but she she left it there just because she didn't want me to choke on water or, any, or choke and need water. And so um, throughout the rest of the time there, there were other families that were seated um, around us. We got there pretty early. It was right after church. And um, probably had a three more conversations like that, um, but except the other families around us did have we're given regular cups, and so I asked even another waitress. She told me she would let our waitress know, and um, I think we were there for at least an hour, and the entire time they just kept saying that they didn't have adult cups, and that's actually happened more than once at multiple of these places. So, um, yeah, those are just the three instances of a lot of, yeah. Three examples of many, and I think that, you know, for for obviously that, tremendously bothers me because Pastor Vincent and Pastor Anna um, are, I'm going to talk for a little bit longer. Y'all can go sit down. Um, I'm not done. You'll be up here for a bit. Um, They're part of our church family. I mean, folks, it should bother us. Because the reaction of that waitress may be good. I hope they leave. I didn't want to serve them anyway. We can sit there. Our Caucasian family can sit there and see it and not say anything about it. This, you know, for instance, if Pastor Anna and Pastor Vincent had gotten up and left because of how they were treated. Folks, it's time for us to be willing that we're going we're gonna to be a part of this conversation. We're going to be a part of this. And if they get up or if anybody gets up because they've been mistreated, we should all get up. We should all get up. We should all speak up because it's not right. Yes, you know, if, if they felt like that they were being mistreated and they clearly were being demeaned, she didn't get a kid's cup, he did. Because she's not, you know, she's not black. She's, she's white. She's Caucasian. And so he was targeted for an insult. The waitress may be glad if they got up and left. Let's all get up and leave. We're not, we shouldn't tolerate that. It's not appropriate. It's not right. And it has no place in this society. These are just three examples of sometimes flagrant Sometimes subtle racism. He was telling me on more than one occasion, he goes out for a jog and cars specifically wait for him to get into the crosswalk to try to run him over. On more than one occasion, he's almost been run off the road. He's almost been hit by cars while he's been out for a jog. Here's an example. Somebody asked me, um, you know, what the difference would be between, and again, there's a term that gets thrown around white privilege, and so I don't want to go into a lot of it uh, today, but I just will give you an example. Um, uh, You know, if if he is walking through a, uh, like parks in Walmart and walks towards the front door, Pastor Vincent probably is going to be very careful with cars, making sure they stop completely before he walks because, you know, he's black and there are racist people that'll, you know, bump him or specifically try to hit him. When I am in a parking lot and I'm walking toward the front door and there's a car coming, I don't even look. I just walk. They're going to stop. They always stop. But he doesn't have that assumption. He can't have that assumption because they don't always stop. They sometimes try to hit him. 
And that's, that's something wrong with our community and with our society when a driver of a car is willing to hit someone just because they're black, but they wouldn't even consider hitting me. Trust me, I'm a whole lot meaner than he is. He's a really nice guy. I'll give you another example real quickly as we're wrapping up this morning. This one is, is equally as difficult for us. Uh, as you know, uh, my wife and I took upon ourselves to bring in a young man to our, uh, to our home. Uh, he was a foster kid that had aged out. We met him through uh, the ministry of this church. And uh, so he's a six-foot-tall black young man, born in Louisiana, um, aged out of foster care. He became part of our family a couple years ago, and we, he, he, he's part of our family. We adopted him, and, and so Daryl. Is uh, he stands out in family photos? We love this young man. He's a part of our family, and uh, so uh, y'all know. Uh, most of you know that uh, several months ago, before the coronavirus happened, he was driving his Mustang. Uh, he was in a very bad accident. He broke both of his femurs, and if you're wondering, uh, it takes 1,200 pounds of force to snap your femurs. Um, and, uh, so he, he broke both of his legs, was in tremendous pain. Uh, he, uh, called me, uh, I think it was coming back from the dentist office and my phone rang and all I can hear was him screaming in pain. I had no idea what was going on. Um, but he's screaming and screaming and screaming and then the line goes dead. So I, I'm like, what is going on? You know, Daryl and I, we joke. And so I'm like, that's not funny, Daryl. And so I call him back, no answer. I call him back, no answer. I call Angela, and I said, I don't know what's going on. Please start praying. Um, so I f- call him, finally get a hold of him. He's, he's been in a horrible car accident. He's being transported. Every day we were there with Daryl. Every day we held his hand. We, we were there when he got in the ER. We held his hand. The only time we, there was two times we weren't there. I take that back. There was three times we, we couldn't be there. The first, they actually asked us to leave the room, and they put his legs in traction. We were right outside the room hearing him scream. Um, through the morphine, scream, because of the intense pain. Um, there was one Sunday we were having church, and so we couldn't be there, so uh, Michael Arnhem uh, took a shift for us to spend time. And then there was a Saturday where I was, uh, had a, a road trip, and I had to go up to Fort Worth, and I, I couldn't be there. Angela was home with the babies. Anyway, long story short. So the next day, after that one day, neither of us could be up there, and he was up there by himself. He he reached out to us, and he said, guys, I know this is a huge imposition. I know coming up to the hospital is, is uh, you know, downtown is, is a hassle for you guys, but if you can be here, I'd really, really appreciate it. And we're like, well, you know, absolutely. You know, we, we're, we're trying. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. He said, they treat me differently when you're here. When you're here, they treat me like I'm white. But when you're not not here, they treat me like I'm a black man. Now, I don't know what that means other than probably nothing good. And so I said, you know, what, 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 what do you mean? He said, they don't give me pain meds. They treat me like I'm an addict, even though they know I broke both my legs. Um, They constantly are uh, mistreating me and rough with me. They dropped me. They push me out of the bed. They tell me I'm lazy. 
even though I still had one leg that was still broken and hadn't had surgery on it. I only had one leg that had had surgery, and they expect me to get up and get out of the bed, get moving. And he said, and I get it. I need to move. I understand, but I'm in tremendous pain. They're making me do PT, physical therapy, occupational therapy, but they're not giving me any medication beforehand. He said, but when you're here, it's night and day. Whole different story. When you're here, they treat me with respect. When you're here, they treat me better. They talk to me differently when you're here. That made me mad. That's our boy. That's our son. And so Angela was so furious. She said, Jason, you're going to have to go up there and do it. You're going to have to go up there and talk to him because I am going to burn that place to the ground. <clears throat> so I went up, and we had a conversation, and, and the nurse we had that day was a new nurse, and she was a, a, a black lady, and she, uh, we expressed our concerns. I shared with her some stuff, and I said, Daryl, tell her what you said. And she said, no, 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 that shouldn't happen. And I said, I know. I know it shouldn't happen. So you tell me why it is happening. So she brought in a patient advocate who was part of the rounds, another black lady who was a doctor. And again, I felt like we're, we're, we're going to get somewhere. Because if, if I feel like if a white doctor had come in, he would have probably just said, Matt, it's just your perception. But for people of color to be told this is not something they haven't experienced themselves, I'm sure. And so we got to the bottom of it, and we, and we took care of it. And it was a huge difference. But it only happened when I wasn't around. And once I was made aware of it, though, I acted. And that's what all of us should be willing to do. That when one member of the body suffers, all suffer with it. Martin Luther King said, there comes a time when our silence, when, when silence is betrayal. When we're more willing of not offending our racist friends than we are for speaking up against injustice, we have a problem. How long will we as a society be willing to tolerate racism and injustice? I know I need to repent of attitudes I've held and, and preconceived ideas, and you might need to as well. If you ever looked at someone and you thought lesser of them because of their skin color, their ethnicity, or you felt like you were somehow in some way superior to them, then you definitely need to repent of that. God can bring revival in this land if we're willing to humble ourselves, if we're willing to seek his face, and we're willing to turn from our wicked ways. We need Jesus. We need to be Jesus to all we come in contact with. And never decide that some people are less worthy of receiving the gospel because of something they cannot control like their ethnicity. God is a God of justice, and so we must be people of justice as well. I'll leave you with this thought. Then we're going to close in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Abortion clinics systemically target black neighborhoods to set up their locations. 
Because of this, of all the abortions that took place in the year 2017, which is the most recent numbers I was able to get available, the highest percentage of abortions were executed on black children. Just like in the days of Moses and Jesus, there is an attack on our children, and black children have suffered the worst. Especially appropriate for Pentecostal churches such as this. Never forget that the Holy Spirit was poured out through the ministry of a one-eyed black man named William Seymour. In a small black church in a poor black community some 115 years ago, in the greatest release of the Holy Spirit since the book of Acts, the Azusa Street Revival unleashed a move of the Holy Spirit which now includes over 700 million Pentecostals. That's one in ten people on this planet are Pentecostal through the ministry of a one-eyed black man in Los Angeles. The world is different today. Our church is different today because of William Seymour and because of his church that knew the hope of the world is a powerful move of God through the church. The Assemblies of God and Pentecostals across this country and across the world owe a tremendous debt to William Seymour and to his church. We must never forget that. As one person said, hell is trembling at what the Holy Spirit has done and is releasing through the black community. The breath of the Holy Spirit is coming to and through black America, and they are going to release such a powerful light of God into this nation and the world that will shock everyone. Voices of freedom, voices of reconciliation, voices of reformation are about to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to lead us into a new day. And even as the enemy attempts to sow a race war, watch the courage Watch the spirit of his anointed ones in the black community because hell is about to experience another surprise. We won't, we won't take the bait of a race war. Instead of, what, instead of being divided among the nations and the ethnicities, we will be unified, one body, fitly joined together, exalting Jesus Christ, working together, loving one another, loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. Would you stand with me this morning? I want that verse from Paul's letter in Corinthians to resonate with you this week. When one member suffers, all suffer together. Don't be committed to silence. If you don't know what to say, then research. We live in the era of information. Being ignorant is your choice. You don't have to be ignorant anymore. You can learn the perspectives, the plight of others. You can learn what people have suffered, what people have dealt with. And so you don't have to be ignorant. You can be informed. And when you get informed, do something. Micah 6, 8. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly. Before your God. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that everyone in this room, everyone watching online, we all may have harbored hatred, we may have harbored prejudice, racism towards 
someone that was different than us just for the simple fact that they were different. They hadn't done anything. They hadn't said anything. They hadn't wronged us in any way. But we judged them before we knew them. Father, let us instead look at people as people who are created in the image of God. This beautiful rainbow kaleidoscope of colors, backgrounds, strengths, ethnicities, races, that all represent the nations that our missionary Ryota was mentioning. That you, have, you desire to be worshipped among the nations. And so, Father, we pray that you would forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of feelings, emotions, opinions, jokes we've told, things we've said that were inappropriate, insensitive, and wrong, and racist. Father, forgive us of the times we've been silent when we should have spoken up. That when we see wrong, when we see injustice, we're willing to speak up, to let our voices be heard, to not let injustice go unchecked, to not let people get away with it, to increase the peace, to increase your justice on this world. You are a God of justice. Your way is justice. You are committed. You execute justice. We pray, Lord, that there would be justice for families that are grieving, that have lost loved ones because of racism, because of injustice. Father, we pray that this week we would be committed to listen more than we talk, but that we wouldn't stay silent. We would express our solidarity, our unity with members of our congregation, members of our community, that we stand with you, we lend our voices to you, and we don't know what it's like to walk in your shoes, but we will walk side by side, hand in hand, unified as the body of Christ together. So, Lord, we love you. We exalt your name today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being willing to have these hard conversations as a church and look at it from a biblical perspective. How should we live as followers of Jesus Christ? How should we live? Our ushers are at the back. As we mentioned before, thank you for your giving to the house of the Lord for the ministry of Riota. As you leave, they'll have the bags. You can just put your offering in there. I'm going to ask our sound people just play uh, play something. We're not going to have our worship team end us uh, today. We're just going to conclude. I pray God's blessings upon you. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. Be willing to stand up for those, speak up for those that don't have a voice. Speak up for those that are breathless. Speak up for those that are not able to speak up for themselves. Because if we all got up and we all walked out of that restaurant, somebody, something would change. And we need to be willing to do that. Inconvenience yourself a little bit when you see injustice. Or inconvenience yourself a lot, whatever the situation demands. All right? I love you, Friendship Church. And, uh, and I pray that you have a wonderful week. Keep the Rule family, the Leach family, the Floyd family, the Aubrey family, all, all families that are mourning and grieving. Keep them in your prayers this week. God bless you. You're dismissed.